Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Today, our topic is dealing with grief in the workplace, and I am pleased to introduce my special guest, Patrick Malone. In addition to being a business consultant, Patrick is the president of the Compassionate Friends and a bereaved parent to Scott, Aaron, and Lance. Pat, welcome to Healing the Grieving Heart. Thank you, Dr. Gloria. Nice to be here. It's great to have you on. I'd like to uh, start the show, if I may, Patrick, by asking you to tell our listeners your story. Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Kathy and I, my wife and I, have lost uh, three children. Uh, Scott died uh, 16 hours after birth in 1971 from some complications uh, in the birth process. In 1974, Kathy had a miscarriage, and that would have been our daughter, Erin. And then in 1995, my 25-year-old son, Lance, was killed in a motorcycle accident. Wow. Yes, that's it's tough uh, having that happen. And uh, were you a consultant at the time when it happened? No, it. Uh, I was in different circumstances with Scott back in the seventies. Uh, I was with a Fortune five hundred company, and uh, same same company with Aaron. And then I was with the business consultant uh, operation with Lance. And each each of those experiences in the workplace was um, significantly different for me. Well, it's going to be interesting to hear uh, the suggestions that you have in handling that after being with a big corporation and then uh, going with consulting. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was getting ready for the show, I was looking uh, at some written material on grief in the workplace. And while I found that it um, was very good, it tended to focus on how to make the workplace more humane. And I thought, you know, that's all well and good, but... Um, Going to work one day as a parent and then a few days later as a bereaved parent is like dropping as an alien from Mars. You're just not the same person you were when you left, and uh, it's a whole different set of circumstances. Yeah, I wanted to go ahead and then I'll. It, it is a, a different set of circumstances, and uh, but a lot of um, how a bereaved parent uh, heals depends a great deal on how they're treated in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And I think and, there's some shared responsibility there. Yeah, I like that shared responsibility idea. Well, I'd like to start out. I'd like to read an email that I received on last week's show, after last week's show, because I think it describes some of the personal challenges that we'll be discussing today. Uh, this email was sent to me by Maggie from Winter Springs, Florida. Dear Dr. Horsley, I just listened to your show for the first time, and it was amazing. I can't wait to get a copy of Harriet Schiff's book, The Bereaved Parent. I am also a bereaved parent. My daughter, Jillian, died July 17, 2004. She was 25 years old. Her death was sudden and unexpected. Her dad and I found her in the bedroom. She died while sitting on the floor watching television. We also have a son, Matthew, who is 15 years old. We are all still in a state of shock. I keep waiting to wake up and find that this nightmare my life has become is over. This is a just a little short of a year for her. So Maggie goes on to say that she she's in her second year as a nursing student and that she wasn't sure if she'd be able to continue nursing school, but she knows Julie, her daughter, would want her to go on. So Patrick, Maggie's now going to share with us a little bit about her work uh, situation in the email. 
She goes on to write, I'm constantly hearing how well I'm doing in the grieving process, how proud they are of me. I feel like a fraud. I'm in complete control of my life from the moment I step on my campus, but in every aspect of my life I feel like I'm going crazy. I seem to be working on autopilot. I thank God every day for the friends I've made and the compassionate friends. If it wasn't for their support and kindness, I think I would lose my sanity. Thanks for listening, fellow mom in mourning, Maggie. I want to thank Maggie for this uh, heartfelt heartfelt email. Patrick, um, I'd like to discuss with you some of the points Maggie brought up. One for me was the need to stay in control. I remember when my son was killed, I too was working in a hospital setting, and I felt like I needed to be really professional, look strong, and hold it all together. Yeah, that's that's a real dilemma for bereaved parents because... You know, quite frankly, uh, the workplace is a little bit different. We we tend to act in normal circumstances a little bit differently at work than we do perhaps in our family or in social interactions. Mm-hmm. And that's just exaggerated when you have all these emotions associated with the grief, uh, with the with the death of a child. Um, and it is it is difficult. And I know in my own case, I'm like I'm like you were. I tried to keep a you know, present a good front and, and put this mask on. And I found that very frustrating because, like Maggie said, the rest of my life I thought I was going nuts. Yeah. And yeah. and it wasn't really until I was able to share that feeling with one of my coworkers who's also a really good friend that it kind of, just talking about it, kind of relieved some of that frustration. I still you know, was careful about how I presented myself in the work situation, but at least I had someone to talk to. How did so, it go about that you were able to talk to him? How did he approach you? Or Well, it, it was kind of funny because, and not funny at the time, not funny ha-ha, but kind of a strange situation. Um, I, it, this was after Lance's death in 95, and I came back to work after a couple of weeks off, and everyone here was really um, helpful to ask, they asked how my wife was doing. They asked how my surviving sons were doing. Uh, they they uh, covered a lot of my assignments. Uh, they were really, really good. And then mm-hmm. about two months after that, one of my partners, who I'm pretty close to, came into my office and he said, you know, he said, um, the death of, of Lance must have been devastating. I have no idea what that must feel like. Mm-hmm. He said, but... You're angry, and you're taking your anger out on us. And oh, we wow. Did, we didn't cause his death. Yeah. And I realized, you know, I was angry, but I thought I was masking it pretty well. Uh-huh. So it was really this impetus that that helped me get the conversation started with him and tell him, you know what, now that I think about it, I am angry because you guys were very sensitive to Kathy, my wife, my surviving kids, but you never once asked me how I was doing, and that, it, yeah. that was the that opened up the conversation of how I was doing and what I needed from them. Uh-huh. And, and from that point on, it was like this huge burden was relieved. The situation got a whole lot better. Now, is, is that a, uh, how many people were working in that office setting? We're we're a small company. We have ten ten people that are employed here, so we're a very small business. But I think that same application, even in large companies, within a smaller work unit, uh, can work. I'm, I'm sure that most of us have a really good friend 
within a work unit, even in a bigger company, that we can confide in. Mm-hmm. Just a matter of how uh, they approach it and how we approach it. You know, sometimes I think it's easier in a large firm than it is in a small firm because there's uh, public relations, you know, P- HR, people, human relations that are doing things, and there's uh, maybe even a protocol for a loss where in a small firm with 10 people, you may not get that kind of a protocol. Uh, there are there are some enlightened companies out there today that have all those uh, support services in place, but I still hear a lot of horror stories about big companies that are impersonal and seemingly uncaring and don't do those kind of things. So there is there are good and bad to the, depending on the size of the company. Mm-hmm. And the people uh, that are in the company. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of it has to do, I mean, um, there can be companies that don't have real compassionate policies but have compassionate people working in that in that area, who can actually help the grieving employee? Yeah, I was actually working in a mental health setting, you know, and, a, uh, and many psychiatrists, and everyone wanted to take me in and interview me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it was a little overwhelming. Be the specimen, right? <laughs> right, and they all wanted to uh, see how I felt and probe me, and I finally had to say, you know, back a little bit, uh, so yeah. you can sometimes get a little too much yeah, mental I, health going. I think the lesson here is sometimes... It's hard for the bereaved parent, but sometimes the bereaved parent has got to take responsibility to let people know what they need. We seem to have a couple of telephone calls, Patrick. Uh, the first one is Betty from San Francisco. Hello. Hello, Betty. Yes, hi. How are you? Hey, good. How are you? Welcome to Healing the Grieving Heart. Thank Did you have a question for Patrick and myself? Yes, I recently lost my mother, and I wasn't able to take time off from work, and I feel like all of the grief is buried within me, and it's taking over my memory, and I'm not able to really express myself in the way that I used to, and so I can be in business meetings and totally have a blank look on my face and not remember certain words. It's almost like there are big gaps in my memory, and I'm wondering if you or he have any strategies for Letting people know that, hey, I'm not always this scatterbrained. I've had a loss. Well, uh, thank you, Betty. Uh, we were just talking about before break how you could let people know. Patrick, do you have some comments for her on that? Yeah, I, I think, number one, the thing you have to understand is that what, you, what you're what you experiencing is very normal and natural part of the grief process. And the easiest way to do that, I think, especially in business situations, is to let one of your business associates know that this is going on and so that they can kind of cover for you when you get into these meetings or keep you tuned in. This doesn't mean that you're less proficient at your business uh, life. This doesn't mean that you're less efficient. It only means that for a temporary period here, you're going to need some support and some help from others until you can recover back that that um, uh, deficiency. And like I said, it's normal and natural. Great. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Betty, for calling in. Phil from Pleasanton? Do we have Phil? We may have lost Phil from Pleasanton. They have. <laughs> well, um, what do you do when coworkers uh, avoid acknowledging your grief? Yeah, that's... Um, it's almost as if um, 
sometimes coworkers look at us like we have a contagious illness, that if, if they deal with it, if they bring it up, it'll cause us more pain. And I think, number one, coworkers need to understand we're, we've already experienced the worst pain. There's nothing that they can do that's going to hurt us any more than the death of our child. So if they if they bring up our child's name and we cry, those are actually tears of joy that someone has remembered. One of the one of the big fears from a bereaved parent is that people will forget their child existed. They'll stop using their child's name. So it's important for your coworkers to mention your child specifically. It's also important for your coworkers not to try to fix a bereaved parent. I mean, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do or say that will fix us. Simply acknowledge that that it's a difficult situation uh, and that you're sorry that we're facing it. And that, that most of the time, is enough. Mm -hmm. How about crying at work when you were talking about emotions? You know, I was just doing some little research for a presentation I'm giving on crying, and one of the things that it showed um, is that women are much more apt to cry than men, and obviously it's more acceptable because of that. They actually have some hormonal reasons for women to be more tearful. They even have different tear ducts. Mm-hmm. So what about this fact that we're, we can accept women crying? What if a guy wants to cry at work? Yeah, that's a real dilemma. That's not uh, in, in the uh, most business environments. That's not looked at in, uh, in a very positive way from a, from a man crying at work. But it is, it is a fact that crying is part of the healing process. The, the tears, the chemical makeup of the tears associated with grief, significantly different than, for instance, tears when you hit your he- uh, right. thumb with a hammer. Or the irritation tears. So there is, there is that need. And I think most of us can find, when we're feeling that, can find a place where we can do that in somewhat semi-private. So there is a lot of um, need for that to be done. I know many times uh, my crying, I'd, I'd keep it until I got in the car on the way home, and a lot of the tears came out then. Or maybe even the screaming, huh? Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> privacy, the windows are all rolled up, the air conditioning's on, no one can hear me, so I look like everybody else on the road talking to myself with tears <laughs> running down my cheeks. But yeah. every, once, every once in a while it's going to come out, and I don't think that a man or a woman should be embarrassed uh, if they're going through this kind of grief that tears do flow every once in a while in public. Mm-hmm. Again, it's normal and natural. It's not a sign of weakness. I think that's the most important thing. Well, tears are a stress reliever, so um, there may be, you know, getting up and being able to leave a meeting and going out for a walk outside or something like that can be helpful to uh, let people know that you may be leaving meetings yeah, and you may not be able to sit through everything. Though, If you have those conversations with your team, with your managers, and let them know, that's what I meant before about let them know what you're experiencing and what you can need or what you're going to need, most people will be supportive of that mm-hmm. for a time. And and by by uh, doing this up front, rather than trying to conceal it, I think you move through the grieving process a little quicker and get to that where you're more returning. You're never going to be the same, but you're going to return to some sense of normalcy in your business life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wanted to check and see if we had our call with Phil from Pleasanton. 
Uh, this is Phil, Dr. Horsley, Mr. Malone. Oh, hi, Phil. Hi, Phil. I apologize. I called in on a cell phone, and it cut out. And it, at times like these, we must remember that uh, technology is our friend. <laughs> right. Did you have a question for me or... Uh... Well, it, it, uh, actually, I'm reporting back in. I, oh, I called a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yes, with, yeah. With the scenario of what we caring coworkers do when a bereaved colleague comes back to work, and I'm, I'm talking a, a business situation of 30, 40, 50 people in the office, and we would all go over day after day and pretty much inundate our colleague with uh, the demand of, of how are you. Now, when I called in, Dr. Horsley recommended that we sort of turn that around uh, into an affirmation that uh, stating, I want you to have a great day today. Right. And I'm back in because I used it. Uh-huh. Now, I, okay. On two occasions. Now, one was a, a, a divorce situation and the other is a, a serious illness in the family. Uh-huh. I have to tell you, that affirmation was a, got a totally different dynamic than the other colleagues who were simply demanding an accountability of how, of how you're doing. Right. And uh, so I now consider turning, turning the inquiry into an affirmation as a, as a, a best practice for the office. That's great. I, uh, Patrick, he was, uh, Phil from Pleasanton was telling us on our first show that, um, uh, he was saying that, you know, you go up to people and say, how are you? And I said when I was uh, working at the hospital, I would pass many people in the hall, and everyone would say, how are you? And I would want to say, I feel like crap. Yeah. I'm feeling what, terrible. What did you actually say? What did I say to them? I yeah. didn't say anything. I said okay or whatever. Yeah, See, we, we put the mask on. See, when most people come to us and say, how are you, they mm-hmm. don't really want to know. They're, they're just being polite. They yeah. then it would scare them if you really told them how how you really felt. So well, Phil, how did how did you deal with it? Did they tell you how they really felt? Well, I, uh, it, it, on those occasions when I would say, you know, how are you, it, it, you'd get this long pause because mm-hmm. now the person has to reflect on just how bad they feel, right? And then they have to, you know, account to me. Now, on those there were one. It was one occasion when I was very very close to the coworker, so I could get straight talk, and that was really good. Yeah. But on other other times, it's just another person in the office complex, and it was essentially just a demand on that person. However, turning it around into that affirmation really, really worked out for me. So now I'm thinking, how about a book? <laughs> You're going to write a book about it, or I am, or Patrick is. <laughs> write the book that would be something like best practices for caring colleagues, something right. like that. You know, I think if uh, when you ask people how they are, I think when it is great to do that is when you're in their office with them or when they ask you to come into theirs. So you're really sitting down and you're really serious about it. What would you think about that, Patrick? Yeah, I I agree. There is a place for that where it's real sincere and it's a private situation that the person can actually tell you how they are. Um, I think it's also important when you give them that affirmation that Phil's talking about, that's an indication that you really do want to help and really do want to care about them. And that tends to get a better response. That tends to get them to open up that this is somebody who really does care. They're not just doing the polite, how are you? Mm-hmm. I remember one guy said to me, don't you just feel like you've got a huge hole in your stomach? That's all he said. I didn't even know him that well, and I knew that he'd been through something similar. Absolutely, 
And, we, you know, we just kind of passed in the holidays, said that to me. And I mm-hmm. thought, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you, Phil, for checking in with us. Well, I, I really appreciate taking the call. And But my last request is oh. could you continue to expand on these best practices for caring colleagues because uh, there was a real need for some solid advice in the workplace. Good. So thank thank you. you. And we'll have uh, Patrick do that right now. Uh, there are there are a number of things that I think you can do or say, um, especially in a case where the colleague is, has suffered the death of a child. I think the first thing you have to remember is there aren't any magic words. Um, mm-hmm. So it's better to start with some expression that simply says, I'm so sorry that this happened, and mm-hmm. maybe maybe a hug or a touch. And mm-hmm. with, some, with some colleagues. So that's a problem right now in the workplace. Yeah, yeah, it it's, is. It's a huge problem because uh, you don't feel like you can go up and hug people, particularly if you've got a male boss hugging a female. That's that's very true. So even a touch, it's a, it's a problem. It's unfortunate. And and that, that would be in those cases where you're really close to the person, where you're not that close, mm-hmm. and simply saying you're so sorry is is probably the appropriate way to start. Um, mentioning the child's name. And listening mm-hmm. to the coworker as they talk about the child, even if there's tears involved at that point, um, you, you you can't say something like "I know how you feel" because generally you don't know how they feel unless you've had the same experience as right. you said with the person who said, "Doesn't it feel like you got a hole in your heart?" Mm-hmm. That's someone who's been there. Right. Um, it, you know, it, it, don't try to don't try to minimize it. Don't say something like, "At least you have other children." Hello, Doctor Gloria. Hi, Karen. Hi. Welcome how to the are show. You? Did you have a question for Patrick Malone or myself? Um, actually, it's for both of you. I work with a really nice guy, and um, I'll just call him Dan. I don't know if other people might be listening, but his five-year-old daughter Sarah died of cancer a few months ago, and of course. You know, everyone at work was very supportive when it happened, and we try to continue to be supportive. But it's almost like, you know, the atmosphere at work is like he should be getting on with things by now. I don't feel like that, but it seems like other people feel like that, and no one really wants to bring it up anymore. People seem uncomfortable, and it just seems to me that it would take, you know, years to get any kind of sense of normalcy back in your life if you went through something like this. And I'm just wondering, you know, should I say something to one of the bosses, or how how should I handle this? Mm-hmm. How long did you say it had been? It's been about three months. Three months, yeah. Yeah, uh, that is, I think people start moving on after that at work, <laughs> whereas a brief parent hasn't moved on and, and is just starting to um, probably become less numb. What's your thought on it, Patrick? Yeah, I think that, that initial stage, when you're in shock, you're almost numb, and really in the first year, for me anyway, um, I was in kind of denial. I kept thinking this was a bad dream that I was going to wake up from. Mm -hmm. So it took me almost a year to come to grips with this is real. So three months is a a small amount of time. Now, how do you you fix that situation in your office? I, I think perhaps people don't realize because they haven't gone through it. Mm-hmm. You know, and... Uh, yeah, they're really nice people. I don't think anyone's sure. doing this intentionally. Sure. No, no. They mean they mean well, but it makes them uncomfortable when they see uh, Dan still grieving over his daughter, Sarah. Sure. Um, but there are 
I, uh, let me give a, a little commercial here because there are a couple of pamphlets that uh, the Compassionate Friends put out. One is uh, entitled When a Coworker is Grieving, and that's for people around uh, the, the individual. And the other one is for the employer, and it's entitled When an Employee is Grieving. Oh, both of great. those. Both of those have got some excellent tips on what those two different groups can do to be supportive and what they should be looking for, what the the um, average experience looks like. Did you so, tell Karen how to access those? Sure. If you went to um, the Compassionate Friends website, and it's okay. www.compassionatefriends.org. Okay. And um, you'll see a, a, a button there to click on brochures. Okay. And just go down, click on that button, and you can order them. Um, they're relatively inexpensive. I think they're probably 15 cents a piece or something like that. Okay. And that may be very helpful for your office environment to understand what Dan's going through. You know, I I just went to your website right now, and it, it said something about a national conference. Is that something I could tell Dan about, or what's that about? Yeah, the the national conference, as a matter of fact, is next week in Boston. Oh. Uh, we do this. It, it is an annual conference, and it moves around the country uh, so that people, you know, have access to it. Uh, it's in Boston this year. Last year it was in Hollywood, California. Next year it's in uh, uh, Michigan. So, yeah, that's something you could tell Dan about. And you're in New York, correct? Yeah, Boston's close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there'll, there'll probably be... Um, Close to fifteen hundred people there. Oh, fantastic! Um, well, thank you so much. I, I hope that helps. Well, thanks for calling, in, Karen. You know, it's great to have sensitive people in the office that haven't lost kids. One of the things that um, I find, Patrick, is that you will make new friends and you will lose old friends for a while uh, because some people are just better grievers. Not everybody at the office is going to be able to handle this. Yeah, and, uh, you know, my wife has got a little uh, saying that um, your friends walk in when your acquaintances walk out. <laughs> and that, that, that sort of, uh, you know, really says that you will find new friends and friends that really do care and through that caring are able to help. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Now, Thank uh, you, do, you, do you find um, that people have difficulty taking time off? I'll have to tell you that this idea that you got to be competent that first year, um, it would have been nice to have somebody come up and say to me, why don't you take some time off? But I was uh, teaching in nursing school at the time. I had students. And rather than saying that, my boss said to me, I had a bet with everybody at the office that you'd come back and just take over again. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so what are you supposed to do with that? You have to go take over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, that's really um, kind of a personal uh, individual situation. Some people, some people are better served jumping back into the workplace and and doing stuff, and that's especially true of guys. I mean, I didn't understand. I, I talked to a grief expert uh, uh, a couple of years ago, and guys used to grieve in the old days. The way they grieved was by doing something, and the doing something was building uh, the the casket. Mm-hmm. Digging the grave, you mm-hmm. know, guy. That's the way guys grieved, and so there are people who need to go right back to work. There are other people who need some time to get themselves together before they're ready to go back. And maybe they can't go back full time. Maybe they need some kind of a a flexible schedule. 
And that's what you want, really, companies to step in with policies that accommodate those different needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that's truly an important part of uh, of uh, their policies because their most valuable resource are those people that work for them. Mm-hmm. Well, what about senior management? It's not so easy to replace some senior management or to have them move out or have them not function as they have. It It is not possible. It's, it's not easy, but it's not impossible. And, and that depends. Like in my own case, I mean, we're a small company. There's three of us here who are senior partners. One-third of the senior partner group was out of, out of touch for um, completely out for three weeks and then partial duty for about two months after that. Mm-hmm. But the other two came in and picked up the slack and, you know, people can do that. I mean, if if you were stepped off the curb tomorrow and, and got hit by a bus, your company would continue. Well, you've got hit by a bus here, only it's called grief. Mm-hmm. And you need some time to recover. You're not gone forever. So the more that you can accommodate what that employee needs, the quicker they're apt to return to some sense of normalcy and some some. Um, a level of productivity that they had before before the death of a child. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips for people on how to stay in touch with their feelings but yet not break down? Um, I think I think when you first have these experiences, when you first have these emotions, you really need to let yourself. If you're sad, you you need to let yourself be real sad. You almost have to. Uh, wallow in your sadness because by doing that you really recognize what sadness is and the next time it visits you the intensity and the length of the visit is not as long i see a lot of people who extend their suffering because they start to feel sad and they check themselves or they start mm-hmm. to feel angry and they check themselves um, i think you if you're angry think about all the reasons you have to be angry and get real angry. Now, that doesn't mean you hurt yourself or hurt any other people around you, either mentally or physically. But let yourself understand what anger is all about. And then the next time that anger visits, like I said, it's not as intense and it, it, the duration is not as long. Mm-hmm. You start to get comfortable with it. Well, one of the things I um, suggest to people is if you are in a situation where you you know, have to cont- handle your emotions, you can always go to the bathroom, which is a great place to go. Yep. When you get in there, you can wash your hands, put some cold water on your face, look out the window, get a drink. You know, uh, a drink helps you to, to get rid of that tight throat that you've got, the, you know, the lump. Um, and it's important to be drinking and eating while you're going through this process. At work, you need to have maybe small snacks and, as I said, uh, take a walk. Don't eat lunch at your desk. Rather, go out and take a walk, even though you may feel like, you know, laying on your desk and sleeping. You may not want to do that. You may want to just get out in the fresh air. Uh, What are your thoughts about all those ideas? People forget about the physical aspects of grief. Grief is hard work. And you're not going to be able to deal with it unless you're taking care of yourself physically. And that means eating smart, um, not overeating. I mean, some people, some people don't want to eat at all. They lose, they lose all their appetite. Other people compensate by eating everything in sight. 
You gotta mm-hmm. eat smart and you gotta you gotta exercise. You gotta keep yourself in relatively good shape. Even though it's embarrassing, you know, I remember the first time I ran, I, I just thought, this is terrible. My neighbors must think I'm a heartless, heartless woman. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm sure going back to the gym or things like that, you're worried about what people think about you not, you know, staying in your house grieving. You know what? Initially you do. And then when you realize the benefits of what, what you're doing to yourself, you care less about what other people might think. Mm-hmm. You only care about how does this impact me and am I starting to feel better as a result of this. Right. And well, I, think, I, think, I think that's an overlooked aspect of grief, this physical aspect yeah. and, and the, the requirements that grief puts on us physically. Patrick, uh, I wanted to ask you before uh, the show ends if we've missed any important points and uh, are there any things you'd like to bring up? Well, there, there are two things actually that I that I wanted to address, um, and they're more uh, directed towards the employers out there, uh, businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, businesses need to know that there's tremendous value in how they deal with grief in their workplaces. Um, I was looking at a study from 2003 by uh, it's actually called the Grief Index by the Grief Recovery Institute. And they estimate the annual cost of grief in the workplace, all, all sorts of grief, at about $75 billion in loss of productivity. Mm-hmm. And half of that, almost $38 billion, is due to grief associated with the death of a loved one. Wow. So, yeah. you know, from a practical business standpoint, there are good reasons that employers should employ um, compassionate policies in dealing with this so that they can minimize that loss of productivity and, and get that employee back on the healing process. Um, That's a very good point. There must be a huge number of days lost. Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it's days lost. It's, it's days where the employee shows up and they're there and the lights are on but nobody's home. You know, right. that blank look on your face, they're not very productive. So right. All of, all of this stuff adds up to a great deal of monetary damage to business in the in the United States. As Betty was saying about the uh, grief with her mother, she said that she's, you know, what, forgetting things and not yeah. remembering and not coming in, you know, in conference. She's not saying the things that she could have said and, you know, and, just and not as productive. Think about the impact if you're in a, um, a dangerous profession and you have this blank look on your face. Think about the impact if you're driving a forklift. And right, or in a production line. Yeah, I mean, people can get hurt here. Right. I mean, we're, we're not only talking about productivity, but we're talking about health, safety, and welfare. Mm-hmm. And I worked in a hospital and uh, giving medications and all exactly. that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, the nursing nursing field is the largest field in the nation, so they certainly should, hospitals should have some protocol for this. And I don't know that the hospital I worked in did, and I worked in a medical center. Well, that brings up the second point then, and that's this idea of recognizing what a compassionate employer looks like. And um, TCF has, has done uh, is created a recognition award for just that that kind of uh, uh, situation where an employer goes out of their way uh, to to provide an environment that is healing and helpful for their bereaved employees. Um, it really a couple of criteria, you know, um, their policies support bereavement needs, 
They arrange additional time off beyond the familiar three days. Uh, they offer support services, uh, uh, EPA, things like that. Uh, they demonstrate a caring attitude. They show some flexibility in the work assignments and evaluating job performance. Uh, and there's a lot of information about that Compassionate Employer Recognition Award uh, on the uh, TCF website. So if people out there are interested in nominating their, their uh, employer for that, um, then we do that on an annual basis. So I think that's another thing that's helpful. That's great. So the employee can nominate their company. Absolutely. The, most of our, our uh, nominees, uh, the companies uh, have been nominated by their own employee. Oh, that's uh, great. Yeah. And, and they, they just feel so, so uh, good about what their uh, company did for them. And now, do you, do you uh, have any special stories of people that have received the award that come to mind for you? Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to present two of the awards in our first year. And uh, one of them was a commercial real estate company uh, in uh, headquartered in Dallas, Texas. It happened to be owned by Roger Staubach, the uh, former quarterback from the uh, Dallas Cowboys. Uh-huh. And to hear the employee talk about what the company and what Roger had done when her child died. I mean, it was just, it was, it was uh, heartwarming to know. Uh-huh. And the, the neat thing was when we came to present the award, Roger was actually embarrassed by the award. And I said, you know, you shouldn't be. And he said, you know, I am because every company should do this. This should be minimum expectation. How fantastic. So he, yeah. had, he had the right frame of mind. Uh-huh. And uh, if he had a loss, do you know how he was so sensitive to it, or is he just a sensitive guy, sensitive boss? I believe I don't believe he had a loss. I believe he's just one of those people that really does care about other people. Mm-hmm. And it's these kind of situations that those people kind of step forward. Mm-hmm. Patrick, one thing I wanted to ask you about was how about uh pictures on the desk of of deceased loved ones? Um I have I have pictures of my son. I have uh two pictures of my son in my office. I I see nothing wrong with that. Um, I think I think probably there is some limitations there. I think some people go a little overboard and almost build a shrine, and that's probably not appropriate in the workplace. If you're going to do something like that, that's probably better in the home environment. But I see nothing wrong with um, with having uh, a picture of my son who died um, on my desk. How, with these recognition awards, did people uh, do shrine kinds of things in there? Did the, people have talked about walls or trees, or have you heard of any of that being done? Yeah, at work or um, scholarships or something. There, there are a number of ways that people have created uh, memorials with the help of their company, in terms of either scholarships or some kind of recognition on the company property. Uh, there's, there's just a variety of ways, and what that does for a bereaved parent is it says, look, this is going to be here forever. My child will never be forgotten. So it, it kind of feeds into that fear that, you know, our child died and we'll forget him. We won't mm-hmm. forget him as long as these memorials go on. So a lot of companies do that. They, they uh, uh, establish scholarships or some other memorial, and that's another one of the criteria. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> 
Yeah, I know. I worked with a family whose son was killed in Fallujah, and uh, they were doing a scholarship for him. Uh, her husband worked at the school, uh, at the high school the kid went to, and they were uh, doing a whole scholarship for him through there. Yeah. So even past uh, places that your child has been can get involved with the whole process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, did you have anything uh, special at work besides this one coworker um, that was helpful for you or your wife as far as the working center or your other kids? Um, I think I think probably just the fact that people cared. And, you know, um, people say to you all the time, let me know if there's anything I can do to help. The real, the real helpful people are the ones who don't ask but mm-hmm. rather step in and say, you know, I'm going to bring you dinner tonight or I'm going to come over and cut your grass this weekend. They don't ask to do it. They just step in and do it. Right. So and, that's, and probably in the workplace, too, I'll Xerox that off for you. I know yeah. you've got this meeting. I'll yeah. answer that phone. Or let me let me cover that assignment. I'll, I'll go to Boston for you or I'll go to New York for you on that call. Uh, those kinds of things are so helpful. So that would that would be another indicator. Don't ask people to tell you what they can do to help, but rather offer it. I know after our son died, uh, my husband's partner came up to me uh, when my husband wasn't around and said to me, you know, I really want you to know I'm there for you. If there's anything I can do for you or your husband, I see him more at work, but please let me know what you need. And if he needs anything, please call me, which I really appreciated. Yeah, see, they'd step beyond just the contact with with the uh, business setting, but with you, um, and that's another indicator. Don't yeah. forget that the spouse that's not the employee. Also, don't forget the kids. Yep. I mean, the siblings sometimes tell us that if you well, could go up to them and talk to them, too. Siblings siblings all often refer to themselves as the forgotten mourner. Right. And we'll yeah. be doing a show on that later on. Well, it's time for us to uh, go now, and I wanted to thank you for being on the show, Patrick. It's been wonderful, and I think you've given a lot of great advice to people about uh, dealing with uh, loss in the workplace. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, and keep up the good work. Okay, and we'll see you at the National Conference. Indeed. Bye-bye. I wanted to thank Patrick Malone. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.